Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? This week, my guest is a writer and a published author of not one, but two memoirs, Akin to the Truth, about growing up adopted, and After the Truth, about life as an adopted adult, parent, worker, friend, and individual navigating the reunion experience. Her name is Paige Strickland. She was born during the Baby Scoop era in Cincinnati, Ohio. I had the wonderful opportunity to meet her in person during the NAAP in-person conference in 2021, and I won't soon forget her charming personality. In 2018, she was a guest on Adoptees On with host Haley Racky and left a lasting impression on me with her masterful storytelling ability. I can just imagine her being one of my favorite teachers in a classroom. Allow me to introduce you to a person who researched and found her biological family before modern technologies. She has been paying it forward in the adoption community for years by helping other adoptees write and share their personal journeys. I couldn't be more delighted that Paige Strickland said yes to this conversation. Paige, I am so glad you're taking this opportunity to have a conversation with me. I've wanted to have it for a variety of reasons. How are you doing? Real good, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing Thanks good. For me. Oh, yeah. I, I think of so much that you bring to the adoption community. And having had a chance to meet you at the NAAP in-person conference 2021 was really yeah. a thrill. It was like I get to finally. Great. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Big plug for those guys here right now too. They they put on a great one. It it was awesome. You have been to others, right? Yeah, I've been to uh, I guess three others. I guess this was conference number four. Okay. um, That I went to, and they just keep getting better and better. That's good. I know it was my first, and I was so impressed. You know, I had an opportunity to meet Lynn Grubb and Mm -hmm. Laureen Pittman. And Marcy, yep. I had, I believe I had met Marcy before, but I think it was many years ago at an AAC conference. Okay. So I feel yeah. like I just met her, even though I've been seeing her on Zoom. But yeah, it was really a good time. And I know you had an opportunity to uh, be a part of the panel, Adoptee right. Voices Matter, which I attended. It was standing room only. <laughs> yes, I know. We packed the house. And I couldn't believe it. It was, it was such a great presentation. So let, let's start there. Okay. Yeah, that was a really great workshop. It was fun, and we worked well together, and Lynn and I have presented before together, so yeah, we just sort of, and Lynn only lives about 50 miles away from me, so it's easy to get together in person with her, you know, to to do planning, and of course, with things like Zoom and FaceTime, you can meet with anybody anywhere, anytime now, so it's great. Yeah, that was really good. I enjoyed it so much. And there were some really good questions. And so I guess that can lead us right into you being a writer and a published Mm -hmm. author. You have two books. 
I have two books. Yeah. yeah Akin to the Truth and After the Truth. I want to know, when did you first realize you were a writer? Kind of like what I said at the conference. As soon as the first person who put a big fat pencil and a pink pearl eraser in my hand, <laughs> I kind of hit the ground running. This chicken scratch at the time, you know, when you're four. But yeah, I just got into it then. And as I actually was able to form the ability to actually write something, you know, mm-hmm. um, it just got more, more fun. Just the thing I wanted to do and I could do it. And I guess I was just, I was a good kid in English class. So that kind of helped because I'd get praise from teachers for stuff. So you kind of knew you would one day write a book, publish a book? I knew I would at least be trying for that and technology, the way it's worked out and you know, what's, what's available out there that you could do things yourself. It, it worked. It worked out. Mm-hmm. So I just took advantage of the, you know, the opportunities that we have right now. My husband is my tech guru, so I have to give him credit there because I, I can write stuff, but trying to do the mechanics of and the technological stuff is not my talent. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I remember you saying that at the yeah. conference. That's one piece of advice. Align yourself with people <laughs> that can help you out and are willing to help you out and know what they're doing. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I've had an opportunity to um, listen to you speak, listen to your words, and you're such a great storyteller. And I remember listening to Adoptees On with Haley Racky. And oh, yeah. I think you did it in 2018. I think that's right. Yeah, it was about adoptees in the, the workplace can affect you as an adoptee. Right. And you shared this story mm-hmm. about a student that did a family tree. And I think it was a special education student. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, that story just really, in fact, it made me think, man, maybe I should do a tree. And I loved how you said, she kind of said, you know, any questions? Yeah. <laughs> when I she mean, did this fabulous tree. She rocked it because she she came up with something nobody would have expected. A, nobody would have expected it out of her as a as a kid with some mental and intellectual disabilities and two as an adopted open kinship adopted kid with the the most unique family tree that anybody would have seen right so it's like oh you're asking that question you got five hours sit right down you know (laughs) and uh, that's what that's what she turned in and you know the advantage she had was she was in a kinship situation so she had complete family history and complete awareness of how of who her biological at least who her biological mother was which was a cousin and I don't know if she knows anything about her biological father and I've not asked her now she's graduated and I don't see her anymore but you know she had so much information and just kind of blew everybody away. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah, the way you yeah. told the story, it put me there, and I just pictured her looking around, wanting to answer questions if anybody had any, and she could answer yeah. them. Yeah, that's great. Because that family tree is somewhat um, triggering or activating for adoptees sometimes. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a cool project. When I look at it as an outsider and as teacher me, 
it's a very cool project and you know we've got this blessing of ancestry with to a certain level it's free and you can get on there and build a family tree and it's amazing but it is really difficult if you're wanting to do a true biological family tree and you don't have that information so it can be really hard and I remember having to do a project like my, like that myself when I was a kid and of course I just did the adoptive family tree because that's all I had and I just sort of sh- shoved the rest of it down in somewhere inside me going this isn't really real but not could take a zero right <laughs> right yeah, yeah. That's a zeros are not an option so yeah that's what I'm gonna do so I guess that can lead us right into you sharing as much or or however much you want to share about your adoption story oh yeah and anything you want to know <laughs> <laughs> well uh, wherever I'm, you want to start yeah yeah well I'm I'm from Ohio, born and raised in Ohio. So I was born in 61, 1961 in Ohio, and they closed the records in 1964. So I got in under the wire. However, I didn't know that because my parents, I don't think, were aware of it. My parents that adopted me, they told me I was adopted from the get-go. I don't remember a day where somebody sat me down and told me and I went, oh, my God, or anything like that. I just always knew you know they'd tell me a little bit more as I was old enough to understand things even when I was really small I knew I felt like something wasn't right even under you know I think I had an adoption that was under the best of circumstances if you will but something inside me said something isn't quite right something doesn't make sense and I didn't like having hidden information this is not like when you just don't tell somebody because there's a surprise birthday party coming up this is this is different from that this is like just keeping stuff keeping information from other people or giving them false information that they accidentally then repeat and none of it's true, but who would know? I think that's a big mistake. And I think we know that in this day and age, but, you know, baby scoop era, people didn't question authorities as much. And my parents wanted a child and they thought they couldn't have any kids and they were not about to question authority and they were not about to ask anything that might make somebody change their mind about how acceptable they would be as adoptive parents. And so they just, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, signed the papers and that kind of thing. And my adoption was finalized in 1962. So I was 13 months when I was placed. Where were you before that? I was in foster care. Um, When I was born, I was premature had to be in the incubator for I don't know how long maybe three four weeks nobody seems to really know but my parents were told I was in an incubator because I was undersized and underweight and so forth premature when I was at birth nobody knew why that happened that way or what the circumstances were that would have caused that So that's a big mystery that'll never be solved, probably, because anybody that I could ask now, they're all deceased. So that's just not going to happen. 
that's the thing you have to live with is, is you find out certain things and then there's other things you'll never find out, especially if people are deceased and you just got to live with that. And that, that, that's the thing that sucks for a lot of adopted people, I think. But, you know, life goes on. I learned to live with certain things and then other things you, you focus on what's, what does work and what is good. They ended up having my brother biologically in 1967 kid they thought they weren't going to be able to have but they had one so I was raised with one brother I knew instinctively don't tell anybody you're adopted birth mothers sometimes felt shame and felt embarrassment or felt like they couldn't talk about it to anybody else I felt that as an adoptee do not share this this knowledge does not leave my house and so you know none of my friends knew None of my neighbors or anybody knew. Um, luckily, my parents didn't go around introducing me as their adopted kid. You know, it was just, I was their kid. I looked enough like them that I could fake it till I make it. So and, I got I got to stop you just so I'm clear, because okay. I, would, I would just announce it. Everybody knew, you know, that I was adopted. Do you remember them saying that we just, this is something that stays in the house? Was that how it was put? No, they um, they just didn't talk about it either, because I think they wanted so badly, probably, to have been able to have had a kid, and they finally did have one, but they wanted to be able to actually have me. They they didn't want to have to get into the, well, we thought we couldn't have kids, so we adopted conversation I, with anybody. Um, but I'm wondering, how did you know not to because you know how kids are you know like we're yeah yeah like how did you know not to go outside the home with that somehow and some kids maybe would have but I was not like that and okay. I was like if somebody starts asking a bunch of questions I'm not going to be able to answer them it's always going to be I don't know and so I don't want to get into that and that you know that I think that trigger word is a little bit overused but that would be, I think, a thing as a kid that would be triggering for me to have to say, I don't know about that all the time. And so simplest plan was to just keep keep my mouth shut. I and get not that. Share. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Why? You, I'm glad you I'll, shared I'll, that because I get it. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Yeah, because yeah. it was a lot of that. A lot of questions yeah. that I had no answers to. Yeah. And, and it and was tiring. I hated that. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, I hated not knowing because I was like, oh, you're supposed to know. I just hated not knowing because nobody could tell me, you know. And, you know, you just grow up being this mystery person. I didn't want anybody else to know that. And, I, you know, kids can be mean. You never know what they're going to make fun of you for. And I just knew the kids I was in school with well enough to go, uh, this is now, I, I am fed to the lions if I give this out. Mm -mm. Not, not <laughs> right, saying it. Right. Right. I got it. They'll see me as something less. Mm -hmm. So senior year of high school, I told my serious boyfriend because we were talking about the future at that point. And he's the one I end up, ended up marrying. He's the, my technology guy. <laughs> I told him because I was just starting to think, well, you know, this could be the person I end up with in the future. And this could be the person I have a kid with in the future. And he's going to need to know. 
I talked to him about, but it was like, you can't tell your mom and dad, you can't tell your brother, you can't tell, you know, it'll get back to somebody because we grew up together. We were in the same neighborhood, same school and everything. It'll get back to everybody. No, 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 you can't tell anybody. So he was like, okay, fine. I can, I can keep my mouth shut, but he has two adopted first cousins that are also here from Cincinnati. So he was cool with it. Like he wasn't going to like reject me because of it. But I was pretty sure some people would. So I thought, okay, boyfriend test. He just passed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he sure did. And you're (laughs) right. Like, I'm just thinking now how that information at times, I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. But I do remember this boyfriend that used to talk about uh, adopted people. So like we had started dating and I hadn't mentioned yet that I was adopted. I I just hadn't. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I was really keeping anything from him. But I remember before I had an opportunity to tell him that I was adopted, he said something like, you know, adopted people are really screwed up. Like he made that comment. Oh, yeah. And then it just hit me like, do I tell him right now? So I, I think I, I well, I didn't tell him right then. It was like a couple of days later, he made the same comment. Mm. And, um, and I said, Great well, <laughs> and I said, well, I'm adopted. And then he had, he was just completely embarrassed, even to this day when we talk, because we're still friends. Oh. He's like, you you know, so, because I put it in my book, you know, and he, yeah. said, he said he was still so embarrassed about that. But yeah. for me, it was like the catalyst. Like maybe there is something I'm not aware of that's screwy about me. Like that was 2009. And I was like, from that point on, on a mission, because that's around the time that I got connected to the adoption community. And I just yeah. remember thinking a lot of people probably feel like he feels, even if they don't say it. It's like a lot of other subcultures within cultures. Would, if you're not in that culture, in this case, the culture of adoption or uh, being adopted, you don't know certain things. And I can't expect anybody to know it. It's different. Yeah, exactly. And that was going to be my question to you. Growing up, did anybody ever say something about adopted people? You know, like it come up and you, and of course you haven't divulged that to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Did that ever happen? Not too much. Um, I can't think, at least nothing in school ever happened. My dad came home one day from work with a tacky adoption joke. And I won't repeat because it'll piss people off, (laughs) but it's a tacky adoption joke. Okay, he didn't mean it to be offensive to me. He just thought he was being funny, right? Mm -hmm. It disturbed me like when I went off and thought about it after leaving the dinner table. And it was like, nah, that's not really funny. Did you ever tell him what you thought? No. Okay. No, he was not somebody I could talk to about my adoption feelings, you know, right? food or dogs and cats or riding the rides at the amusement park and things like that, not adoption. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I could never, yeah. I don't know if I could have appropriately said something to him without him thinking I'm just being disrespectful and running my mouth and that kind of thing. Right, right. <laughs> so you grow up, you tell your boyfriend, now husband, this is pre-search, right? This is 
Right, yeah, right. So this is like late seventies. Okay. Right, disco. Yeah, and then I, we get through college and everything. We get married, and I'm sitting there one night. Well, let's see. We were we were watching TV. Ad comes on TV for a TV talk show that's going to air the next day. The, it's a local show, so I don't know if anybody'd even be have been familiar with it anymore. But they were going to have a panel of an adopted person, a social worker, and a birth mother on and ask them a bunch of questions. And the adopted person was in reunion and came on the air with their sisters. So, you know, again, it it was with my husband. It was like, you know, we don't talk about adoption. We pretend it never existed. We pretend I'm just like everybody else because that's the way I want to be regarded. That's the way I want to be seen by everybody else but it came on TV, right? I can't mm-hmm. control the TV. And then he said, you know, you could watch it. You could. We'll, we'll put the VHS tape in and record it. And then when you get home from work, we can watch it. Hmm, and then I kind of so went, supportive. Yeah, yeah. I kind of went, well, what the hell? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I've got nothing else to watch. Okay. Because he was like, don't you want to know? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't go around thinking about it because I'm really trying to shut this out of my life. Mm -hmm. But I realized I really can't. You know, I couldn't and I can't. And this is before children, right? This was before kids, too. That was another thing. I had no desire to have a kid without having this resolved. And if I couldn't have this resolved, I did not want to take a gamble with what I was going to put out there in the future. Mm -hmm. So I just did not feel maternal. I did not. You know, I just figured he and I are going to be workhorses our whole life and that'll be it. You know, we'll have a house and we'll raise animals, not not putting a human being out in the world if I don't know enough about myself, because I had no idea if I had any kind of genetic problems or you know, anything in me. I'm, I'm a healthy person, you know, but was that luck or what or things come up down the road? I want to be aware kind of thing. And I know a lot of people have grown up and they don't have a good health history because maybe the adults in the past don't have good wherewithal or education or, you know, they they just have other ways of thinking about things like that. But it's like, nah, I I just I don't even want to if I can't even lay eyes on somebody that looks like me, I don't even want to pursue having a kid. So we go watch this show, right? We go watch this show. And it's really interesting. I remember I sat on the living room floor watching. I wasn't even on the sofa. I sat on the living room floor. And we realized watching the show, my records, even though I had a closed adoption, my records were open because I was an adult. I had grown up believing closed adoption meant you never, ever get your records. Never at all. And I think my parents understood the law that way too but the law really was when you're an adult because I was born before 1964 in Ohio I actually could get my records so I learned something off of that show and I decided after that okay I think I will get my records because god damn it they're mine right of course <laughs> I mean, but quite bluntly I'm like I pay taxes I stay out of trouble I work hard <laughs> I do all these right things. I don't even speed. And I'm going to get my records. And so, you know, the $20 certified check and copy of my driver's license and my social security card, my marriage license, which would have my name, last name change on it. 
and sent my ID copies in. And um, about uh, three, four weeks later, I get the big fat envelope in the mail. I remember the day it came, I was, we had a little round table in our kitchen area and sat down at that table and held the envelope and looked at it. And I opened it up and there's all these papers in there. And it was, it was creepy. It was like somebody was looking over my shoulder, like maybe I'm doing a naughty thing, but maybe not. But guess what? I don't care if I get caught. <laughs> it, it was just a really weird feeling when I opened that envelope. And there was the decree of adoption that my parents signed and a judge had signed. And, you know, it was kind of weird seeing my dad's signature on stuff. And then there was a name change document that changed my original birth name to the name I go by now. And then there there was the original birth certificate in there, and it was fully filled out, fully legible, and totally accurate. Wow. And nothing blocked out on it. My birth father's name was even on there. Mm. So I got super lucky on that one because usually the birth father's name isn't on there. And that's either because he's unknown or they parted ways pissed and, you know, she's angry or you know he he doesn't want his identity so were your birth parents married they were not my parents at the time in 1962 were told that they'd been married but they were too young and so the marriage was dissolved and they were never married at all but they had they had okay i just want to be clear they had planned on being married well We'll never know what that whole okay. truth is. The reason I'm it. asking is because that, yeah. that's what I heard, that the father's name would appear on the birth certificate if the what, uh, couple was married. Yeah. What we can discern, makes total sense, is she wanted to marry him. Whether she was in love with him truly or not, she wanted to marry him and believed that he should be marrying her. That would explain why she put his name down. Guys don't change their last name when they get married. And I found him really fast because a unique first name. But when school year let out and I actually had free time in the summer, um, I started going downtown and, you know, it was pre-internet, pre-technology. I mean, the biggest technology we had was like those microfish things in the libraries and the courthouses had them. I got into some public records and found him in there. They had these old crisscross suburban directories. They don't, I don't think they have them anymore. It would list the person's name, the person's spouse, the person's job, the person's address, the person's phone number. Sometimes there'd be a, a few other little things in there, but I tracked him in those crisscross directories from 1961 on, and he was still living in the same suburb, in the same general area stayed with the same employment the guy that like does something then doesn't want to change you know yeah so you found <laughs> him first so I found him first mm-hmm. yeah I found him in like three days which is like kind of like when people google a name and it, there it is and they find him and everything within a day I mean it was pretty fast but I didn't go ringing his doorbell or anything right away I was kind of a little bit too overwhelmed to do that I just knew I got to take a break on this. I can't keep doing, you know, I can't, I can't just like go full force into this because I'll be messed up. Mm -hmm. Had you (laughs) seen a picture of him? 
I had no photo of him at the time. There were no photos available, nothing in public records, not, nothing, nowhere that I could have a, a photo of him until I could someday see him in person. So I knew if I did want to see what he looked like, I was going to have to eventually contact him. My husband and I did a couple of drive-bys of the house, saw his car, saw the front of the house where he was living. Another car pulled up. Of course, nobody recognized our car, but another car pulled up. A young woman got out with a baby in her arms and then went across the lawn and into the house. That was one of my sisters mm. with a baby nephew. Wow. And yeah, he was going to get divorced and they never did it. They never ended up completely filing or completely completing the divorce proceedings. Yeah, I got to ask you about the sister. Okay, so mm -hmm. when you see this woman with the baby going into mm -hmm. the house, you're able to get a, a really good visual of her. Did, does she? No. No? Okay. I was, we were too far back because we didn't want to get caught snooping. Okay. And, <laughs> of course yeah. not. So, you didn't want to get caught. Yeah, and it was her, that, like the sight of her getting out. She had long, dark hair, and I could tell she'd, you know, we were waiting there going, what's she, what's she going to do? What's she, is she going to go into that house or she going somewhere else? <laughs> you know, and we're just sitting there, you know, hoping nobody notices us. And if they you do. You were doing a survey. That's what we call that yeah, in uh, police work, a surveillance. Well, we're looking at maps here and we're trying to figure out because we think we're lost. You know, get some BS answer. You know, so I get the kid out of the, the car and then just go up across the lawn. There's a little hill that the house sits on. So when did you With find out she was your sister? Well, that's what I was saying. At uh, the courthouse, they had a divorce record, which, again, they never finalized the divorce. It was something they were going to do and then kind of decided not to. But there was a, a paper on file at the courthouse, and it listed their kids on it. So I got the names, the full names of his other kids off of that. Then I was able to start looking for them. I went to the local, the, the high school in their suburb where his kids would have gone to school. This was back, you know, again, school security is so different now. But I just go walking into their high school one day and go into the school library because libraries keep yearbooks. Just told the ladies working in the library, I'm doing some family history research. And can I look at some of your old yearbooks from 1980 and 1983? And they were like, sure. And then I was, can I use your copy machine? I'll pay you. And they were like, we'll make you copy, honey. And, and I, they didn't know who I was, but they, they were fine with that because that's how people were then. And I found yearbook pictures of them and copied them had them copied and walked out the door with pictures of two sisters but you didn't so, get a good visual when she was when you were doing your surveillance so how did you right. know well i could tell enough because of the hair oh okay i i could tell enough who that who that had to be okay yeah and I eventually did make contact with him in October of that year. It was 87, 80, yeah, 87. I got up the nerve to write him a letter and gave him my information and gave him my contact information, put a, another copy, a Xerox copy of my 
original birth certificate in the letter just to show them I'm not some weird stalker person, you know, this, and this is the reason why I'm contacting you and why I think you are who you are and all that kind of stuff. He did not deny it. It took him a couple weeks to answer my letter and he called me because he had my phone number from the letter. We talked a little while. I had a list of questions that during the search, I just came up with a list of questions. If I could ask them, if I only got one shot to ask them a few things, what would I ask them? It was all light stuff, like, who's your favorite sports team? You know, you like cats and dogs, you know, and, you know, stuff like that. What were you good at in school? You know, I didn't, I didn't want to get into the deep stuff because I wasn't ready to discuss the deep stuff. And it was probably the, the right thing because it just sort of like just like when you're meeting friends or something, you know, you just sort of get into trying to find how people are, how they tick and, you know, what they're into and that kind of thing. So he called me back one night and got the answering machine. I was at work. And when I got home from work, I called him back. Yeah, we talked for about an hour. We agreed we set up a time to meet at a Denny's that's about 15 minutes away from both of our houses had dinner my husband went and then he came over again nobody else knew about me so you know he had no family members with him I guess he had told his wife at some point but he obviously didn't marry my birth mother he married someone else for him it was probably the right choice because they were married like 51 52 years so, you know, mm-hmm. through good and bad, ups and downs, four kids and the whole bit, that was, I think, the right call for him, even though my birth mother probably wouldn't have liked his choice. But she's a really nice lady. She's really nice. And to fast forward 20 or, or 15 years later, she said something to him about, you know, you, you've been sitting on this thing and it's getting kind of ridiculous and you should call her and and you let the ball drop and that's kind of crappy. And I, I said, we're listed in the phone book. I guess she was checking to make sure we were still in the phone book all these years, but he, w- he was, no, don't call, don't call. No, 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 no. Now, is and this finally, your birth father's wife yeah. you're talking about? Wife. Okay. Yeah. But finally, she got through to him, that sister that I'd seen that one time, they were babysitting her son. They'd had to go to a family family funeral on her husband's side. They come home from the funeral to pick up her son. And she goes, Mom and Dad, you never guess what happened at this funeral. This cousin shows up out of nowhere. Nobody's ever heard of this guy before. And it just made everybody nuts. And it was so weird and awkward. <laughs> And that's when he cracked and he decided he better say something because he didn't know enough about me to know I probably would never do a thing like that, you know, funeral crash. But he realized there are people out there that other people don't know about. It might happen to you. You know, somebody might funeral crash and show up because that's a safe time and you see everybody that you can possibly see that would have mattered. Did he provide you with your birth mother's name? I mean, I know you had it, but did he? Oh, he agreed. He 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 did not deny it. Okay. And I guess she'd had a conversation with him, and he had said that he wasn't going to marry her. And as it turned out, it's because he was with the woman he ended up with for 52 years. Hmm. So, 
he was kind of seeing two women at the same time. Okay. And yeah. So that, and he basically picked the other one. Right. So how did you find your birth mom? Well, you know, I kept, I went back to the, again, she didn't have any public records. I couldn't find much on her. I found her husband in those crisscross directories and tracked him. And she, her name would have popped up as the spouse. And then all of a sudden, I think it was in 71, the name drops off and I could not find either one of them. And I was still, you know, at that time I was tracking both my birth mother and my birth father. So I'm still pulling the directories out for each year, seeing if I get lucky in this section or this section and so forth. Then the the ex-husband's name, he shows back up again in the crisscross directories is local, but he's retired. And I'm like, okay, but her name's not listed. So I'm like, I don't know what happened there. I don't know what that's all about. I've, I decided, well, okay, I'm going to write him a letter too and just say that I'm looking for her and that it's just family business and not give out too many details, but it's family business. Do you know where she's at? I've been trying to locate her. He wrote me back saying that she'd passed away and he had his phone number on there. It's kind of funny. There was a day I remember when I was in college thinking about all this going, she's dead. She, why, why else? That's the only thing I can think of is she's dead. It turned out she was dead. I, as soon as um, her ex-husband told me that, it was like, that's the creepy, weird, ghosty feeling I was feeling when I opened up that envelope for the very first time. Right. You know, wow. I, I think if you believe in that kind of thing, I think she was hovering. <laughs> and right. uh, mm. yeah, so I called him and he invited me and my husband over and he had some pictures for me. He knew about my sisters there and she had had one baby before me that she was able to keep because she got family support the first time. I was basically like, again, you got to be kidding me. Well, helped right. you once. Right. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, no can do. You know, we got other people in this family to think about. That's that that's the really fast version of that story. She had health problems, too. She had bad heart valves from rheumatic fever. So nothing genetic. But if that's why I came early, possibly, I don't know. We'll, we'll never know. My, si- my sister that she kept, she's 18 months older than I am. She was full term and there were no complications. But after me, she had to have heart valve surgery because the valves were, you know, so messed up. And when you have kids, it does put a strain on your heart. You know, healthy young people bounce back from, but she wasn't, even though she was young, she was not that healthy. I kind of got through the birth father thing, at least for a time, the initial birth father story. Yes. So you find that your mother is deceased. She's deceased, right. And her ex had me and my husband over to talk about it and he had some photos to give me they weren't great quality photos but he had photos then he knew about my older sister sister and what her name was and he knew she was married and living somewhere on the west coast but he couldn't tell me where he just didn't know you know I just sort of kind of had to keep my mouth shut about this is the kid who had your last name and you raised her and you don't know where your kid is living really 
but I, you know, I kept my mouth shut. He knew that she had remarried and had the name of that guy, that she'd had another baby with that guy, another girl, and that he had her name. And he had no idea if they were still living in Long Beach, California or what, but that's what had happened and why she had dropped off the records in the directories in 1971, because they all moved out from Cincinnati to Long Beach, California, basically to reboot life. People want to change. They go to two places, California or Florida, right, to start over and live where the weather's better. And they went to California. He came back. He remarried they were divorced and went out together, but still divorced with him and his side of the family. Then she went off and married my sister's father, and he went off and married somebody else. And then they came back to Cincinnati for whatever reason. They just came back. I think it was because his mom was still living here and they, he wanted to come back here to help take care of his mom. So he had the names, he had the information. It was a little sketchy, but it was good enough, you know, like his memory was a little foggy, but it was good enough. So the next thing I had to do was, and in the day, you have to remember, $300 phone bill, but this was in 1987. So $300 phone bill would be like one of those $800 phone bills now. Call and directory assistance over and over and over in every area of the LA County area. And I finally got a hit I finally got I finally got the information that I was looking for. Oh, and the other thing, because I knew she was dead, I wrote to Sacramento and got her death certificate. And so that and that had an address on it. So when I started calling directory assistance to try to find her former husband, I had an address to see if it would match up. And it did. Then I was able to kind of put two and two together again, write another letter saying, I'm looking for someone. It's urgent family business. This time, instead of saying I'm looking for my birth mother or I'm looking for her name, I used my sister's name and it's family business. Can somebody there please put me in touch with this person? Didn't say it was my sister. I just said, this is a person I'm looking for. It's family business. They called my sister. My sister called me. And then we had a three hour phone call going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned yeah. getting the death certificate because yeah. like you, I got my birth mother's death certificate and, mm -hmm. and there's information on these documents. It may, it may be yeah. ever so slight, but my brother's name was on that death certificate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Did you experience the genetic mirroring on your maternal side? Definitely with my sisters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I met one aunt. I didn't really see the resemblance with her. Very nice lady, very sweet. And she gave me a pile of pictures, but I didn't really see resemblance with her. But I know now why if I don't color my hair, it's going white. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that. With my sisters, definitely, we've all got the same eyes. My younger sister and I really look alike. It's insane how much we look alike. There is no denying we're sisters. Mm. Even though we're halves, we're sisters. Mm -hmm. And it is super, super obvious. So your it's, older sister, the one that was born before you, she's half-sister? Mm -hmm. We're all halves, yeah. Okay. As we say, we're sisters from different misters. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, we all three have different biological dads. Okay. My older sister and I don't look alike, but we don't look 
as alike as my younger sister and I. It's like, oh, my God, when people see us. Mm-hmm. So because we've got similar hair, similar like skin tone. I mean, you can tell. Right. How would you yeah. say you have best navigated your evolution in adoption land, adoptee land over the years? Well, one advantage, I mean, it's it's it sucks that I didn't get to beat my birth mother, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, that's that can sometimes be a complicating factor that I've not had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, because had she been driving the bus, she might have been more controlling or maybe not. I don't, we'll never know. She might have been way too emotional and made you kind of want to back away yourself. I don't know. She may have just, you know, the personalities, it might not have been the same chemistry, but the three of us girls, we were all without a mother, which kind of leveled our playing field in a way. We were all alike in that way. Uh, My younger sister has no concrete memory of her because she was a toddler Mm. when our birth mother died. So in that sense, she and I have that in common. You know, all we got to go off of is photos. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's unique. It's a, it's its own perspective. My older sister's the one that has all the family stories and all the, well, I remember one time when our mom, this and that, and we just kind of sit there and listen because that's what we got. It's funny. My, my older sister and I were wired a lot alike, I think on the inside, she's probably a little more conservative and a little less outgoing than I am, but we're very similar in things we're interested in, humor, and just, just I don't know, family values, if you will, just like, yeah, this is what I want my kids to do kind of thing and stuff like that. So it's it's funny. There's, there's internal mirroring and there's external mirroring. And between the two of them, I got both. Mm-hmm. And nice. then over on my birth father's side, I look like one of my sisters, but I don't look as much like the other two or my brother on that side. The culture they grew up in was large family, open door policy, like your friends are invited, your friend's mom's invited, the guy down the street that doesn't have anybody (laughs) to eat with is invited. And I really have tried to embrace that. Like, I like that. Mm -hmm. I I really like that. Like, it's not just Thanksgiving with your family. It's Friendsgiving, too. And we Mm. just do it all together. Like, I'm not doing two Thanksgivings. I don't, don't have no time for that. But, you know, let's just, yeah, people next door can come over. You know, this person come over. Oh, you, you don't have anybody to eat with. You come to our house. You're at our house. You know, that kind of thing. And so we just blend stuff. And mm-hmm. I like that, too. You know, Seems yeah. like you've really, you've really had a way of having a positive perspective on things yeah and we're focusing you know mostly on life now i mean i'd love to hear about stuff in the past i really do and because i'm a nerd for that stuff too but we got each other now you Mm -hmm. know and my birth father again he kind of made a comeback in 2002 and that's when i was able to get back back into his life and you know meet all the kids and the siblings on that side and my aunt there and the cousins there and everything i actually looked like his sister and his sister's daughters. So there's a little bit of mirroring there. And one of the coolest things his sister in a Christmas card wrote one time is, I think we look alike. 
it was a Merry Christmas card and signed signed her name. And the P.S. I think we look alike. <laughs> that was just like, oh, nailed it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, That's you know, nice. I'm thinking it but not saying it, mm-hmm. but. She said it, and that's yeah. That's just like one of those gifts. Nobody, you couldn't have handpicked a better thing to say. Right, I agree. So, So what's been the best thing about being connected to the adoption community? Oh my gosh, just just the general social aspects of it. Being with people that you have something in common with that's can be a touchy subject that other people just don't get. And they may or may not, we can we can fight as hard as we can to get other people to understand us better and our thinking better. But as with a lot of other topics, it's a long haul. I believe it will happen, but it's it's a long haul and it takes a whole generation to turn over sometimes for these things to happen. So it doesn't mean give up and stop. You just have to keep hammering at it. And over time, it'll be become less of a less of a problem just just the fact that you know i I love these um conventions uh conferences getting together with people it's it's almost like a big reveal almost like a reunion you know you see these people online then you see them in person and you're like that's you oh my gosh you know and it's just it's it's just fun being with people who think like you Yes. And they get it and you don't have to explain it and justify it to anybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's like a little vacation for me. Yeah, that conference, seeing people that I had been talking to or seeing on Zoom, yeah, I could hardly put it into words. Um Yeah. It was just something so nice about that and I'm just so glad I got to experience it and I do look forward to going to conferences in the future because I used to go to AAC mm-hmm. pretty regularly. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, with the pandemic, I yeah. definitely just sat still. You know, I think we all kind of just wanted to pause for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. But we're slowly getting back. And that that uh, conference was really proof of that, you know, that, right. um, that we can right. do that. Yep. In closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to leave with the audience, um, adoptees in particular? Yeah, it's sometimes you have to expect the unexpected and be open to it. Having a a, a fixed idea in your head of this is what these people are going to be like because this is what I'm like, or this is what these people are going to be like because this is what I'm told. Still be open to stuff because sometimes what you have is one interpretation of things, the way one person in a family or, you know, it can even be your friends for that matter, explains a situation or what people did. And then somebody else's point of view isn't quite the same thing or is totally the opposite, you know, and you just sort of have to listen to it all. Some people, you know, their ability to express themselves or their circumstances in life, they're learning levels it's all different and so people see things in different ways so sometimes you just sort of have to take it for what it is and it can be frustrating but you know just keep the judgment down i mean this unless you i guess i found people that were like true criminals i might be judgy but you know yeah yeah i think yeah like what you're saying is be very observant be observant yeah right and you got to have some patience and you got to have compassion for the other side and not just 
but what about me? But what about me? But what about me? Because it's real easy to fall into that. But it's also that they've got lives and things going on, too. And they've got business going on and they've got found out while I was doing my search, my birth father had been laid off and lost his job after 25 years. They were they go through stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a guess. A male adoptee said it's like you're coming into the middle of their movie and they're coming into the middle of yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a real good analogy of it. Yeah. And a little bit, it's like getting married and having another set of in-laws that aren't really in-laws, but they're they're not in-laws, but it's like in-laws because it's not like you grew up with them raising you like your mother-in-law and your father-in-law don't raise you. All of a sudden, you know, if you marry into a large family and all of a sudden, you you know, your spouse got a bunch of brothers and sisters and a bunch of cousins coming out of the woodwork, that's overwhelming too. Be patient with it. And, you know, sometimes it's baby steps. It's a little bit at a time. Very and, true. Very true. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to just tell you, I really like the titles of both your books, and I'm definitely going to include them in the show notes so people can get a copy. I know it's available on Amazon. <laughs> That's yeah, the easiest thing to say, right? <laughs> it's That's on Amazon. right. Yeah. I think I, I've been told you can order it through Barnes and Noble, but it's not like in stores. Mm -hmm. So well, I'm yeah, going to I'm gonna get my copies through, through Amazon. Yeah, so uh, I think what most people are doing and it's Kindle and print. Yeah. My husband thought up the first title akin to the truth. And then I thought up after the truth because yeah. I thought, okay, this is after I have my truth or m a lot of my truth, but not everything had been resolved yet. So, you know, it's kind of like, stay tuned. There's more to come. There's always more to come. And, and so I'm an ongoing. And even since I've written that book, uh, th there's been a couple of pop-ups. I found out, couple years ago my birth father's brother who is deceased I never got to meet him my birth father was the baby of his family and everybody else was gone his brother was a birth father mm. and nobody knew it and it happened when he was in the military stationed in California mm. and my first cousin showed up right after New Year's a couple years ago and it's like hmm who's this guy we're related on my birth father's side hmm it, but we're a first cousin, so he's not my sibling. He's my first cousin. That means that one of those birth uncles out there had something in common with his brother, never knew it. Mm. You know, so I'm connected with him now. He lives in Colorado. And then in my birth mother's side, a cousin, another cousin who was adopted out like I was, did a 23andMe test, and my sister's done all of them. I've just done Ancestry, but she popped up. And so now we have a, a new cousin there. And uh, we got to meet her this past summer and have a sister cousins reunion together. She's actually, she's coming in town tomorrow to see her mom and dad still live in town here. She's coming home to see her, her folks for the weekend and we're having dinner tomorrow night. Well, so. it sounds like there's going to be a third uh, memoir. I love the idea that you're <laughs> doing that. Like, I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. And so it, whatever it, you yeah. want me to include in the show notes, I will definitely do that. Uh, for the audience, because I think there's um, a writing group that you facilitate. Is that right? Or is that Lynn um, Grubb? Lynn's got the female adoptee writers group. Mm -hmm. I've got one for adoptees as caregivers. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes we end up in that situation where we're caregiving for either a biological family member, a spouse, a birth family member, or a, or a 
adoptive family member or someone in our lives that needs special care and you know how does that affect us as adopted people mm-hmm. well i'll be sure for the listening audience to be aware of, of that whatever you want me to include so sure. i just yeah. thank you so much for having this conversation you, with Jennifer. me you, yeah this has been great yeah it, it really has so talk to you soon yeah all right thanks Paige and I could have talked for at least another hour because I enjoy her willingness to be open and honest. When she said that as a child she wasn't the least bit interested in telling anyone that she was adopted because of all the questions that would follow of which she had no answers, I thought about how I could have saved myself a level of frustration in my early years if I had done the same. As she started to lean into the possibility of finding her birth mother as an adult, She began the work and trusted the process. It was during 1987, 1988 that Paige started putting the pieces together about her beginnings. I like that she had the support of her husband during that time and still to this day, he is able to contribute in a big way to her ability to impact the adoption community. A special shout out to him. I really enjoy hearing an adoptee share that their partner was right by their side during search and reunion. If you want to get your story of adoption onto pages for an essay or a book, then I consider Paige as a sage on the stage of helping you craft your work. She is the ideal person to hold your hand and guide you every step of the way. She works with Lynn Grubb from episode 23 on this podcast and Laureen, who I hope to one day have as a guest on this show to help other adoptees write and publish their work. They each believe that the world needs to continue to hear and read the words of adoptees with no one left behind. Thank you, Paige, for having this conversation with me about a part of your journey and how you pay it forward in the community. Your contributions are a classic example of why being connected to others in adoption land is one of the best gifts an adoptee can give themselves. If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit jenniferdianeghoston.com. Thank you so much for being here and be sure and follow me on Instagram at Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land.